As we continue through the gospel, I'll be in chapter 1, verses 35 through the end of the chapter. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them followed, said, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that, that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, was, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of, Moses, of, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing. Father, thank you for your word. Open it up into our hearts and minds that we might be dealt with by your word in all its power. Do this not because we deserve it, but because we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Just to remind you, this, this uh, gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God, through whom all things were made, remember that's in verse 3 also, is alone the one who has the power to make a pathway between heaven and earth. It's a lot about what the gospel of John is about. Jesus is the way. We'll say later in John, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus will proclaim himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Pointing to that way, the Lord Jesus, that is, is the goal of John's ministry. We've seen that, and now this is really the third time we're hearing about John. John's point, John's goal, John's mission was not just to, to gather a large following. It was to take a large following and point them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist shows Jesus to be the one that all his followers should follow. And in this passage, we have the first interactions of Jesus with those who would follow him. Several of his first disciples are named. We learn a little bit about them. Really turns out that all of these are most likely from Galilee. And when Jesus now returns to Galilee, that will be where his ministry begins. To the first one who comes to him, he says, what do you seek? And then we'll give an open invitation Come and see. And to all who have ears to hear, Jesus would, it would simply say, follow me, as he does to Philip. 
For he is, as we'll see in this passage, for he is the new Jacob, the new Israel, the new Bethel, the true son of man, and the true stairway to heaven. Come and see, but watch carefully, as Robert Plant said, because you know sometimes words have two meanings. Let's look at, first of all, the players. There's so many people in this passage. I just want to introduce you to all of them and help you see who they are, why John is bringing them to the forefront. Of course, John the Baptist we've heard about already, um, but in this passage we see that, that really John had not just simply made a theological declaration of truth in verse 29 in the previous passage. When it said, the next day John saw Jesus be, uh, coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His, his, his point was not simply to declare this theological truth. And we see this in the, in, the, in, the, in the next section, in the verse that we're looking at. His intention was to send his disciples to follow the one that he had been proclaiming. Jesus is the Lamb of God, he would say. And so he would say to his followers, look, behold, the Lamb of God. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say directly, but you can imagine John saying, there he is, there's the one I've been telling you about, go, follow him. John points to Christ's strength by being the Lamb of God, not ours. He points to Christ's goodness, not ours. His righteousness, not ours. His message is, you need him, you need him, go. Jesus would make this clear as well. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is not fond of flattery. He welcomes all of you sick people. He welcomes all of you sinners. He welcomes all of us in our darkness. Come, Jesus has come for such as you. He has come for such as me. He has come for those who are lost in their transgressions and sin, who are caught up and bound up in the slavery of their sin, in the bondage to their sin, and he has come to set people free. John the Baptist would say, he's the one. He is the one. We need the Lamb of God. We are sinners, and he is the great sin remover. And so now we meet these disciples. The first is Andrew. Andrew is, according to church tradition, known as the first disciple because of his name being brought out here in the Gospel of John. And interestingly, as you'll see several times in John's Gospel, every time Andrew shows up, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He's bringing someone to Christ. It's a great reputation to have, a reputation that we should have. We should be people like Andrew who are bringing others to Christ, introducing them to Christ. Church history says that Andrew ministered in what we call Eastern Europe and then up into Russia and later Greece, went back down into Greece where he was martyred. Um, he did not consider it worthy to be crucified like Christ and the history says that he, was, he, he asked and was crucified in an X-form crucifix instead of uh, the standard crucifixion. And so that's why if you see St. Andrew's cross, you see the big X. That big X is, is symbol, symbolic of the cross that Andrew, St. Andrew, was martyred on. Well, in verse 35, it says not only that Andrew, uh, in, in 35 and, and, uh, and 40, we see that not just Andrew, but there were two disciples. There's one other disciple other than Andrew in this first section, but he's not named. 
And whoever, whoever he was, it, we, we, there are lots of speculations, but it probably makes most sense that it was John, John the Evangelist. It was John, the writer of this gospel. And the reason, reason it seems very probable is because John throughout this gospel is not going to name himself. He will refer to himself as the one whom the disciple, uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He'll say that several times. And then he will say, um, with regard to that person that he declares to be the disciple that Jesus loved, he'll say, and and he is the one who is writing these things to you. So he is, he is the author of, of this gospel, this one. And so most likely, this also was John. John also, interestingly, if you read through Paul's letters, Paul always introduces himself. Um, John never introduces himself in, the, um, in his epistles except to call himself the elder. It, it, John never uses his name except when he is writing the book of Revelation. He will refer to himself there. Um, but all these other times, he doesn't name himself at all. Well, in the next section, we, we um, well, then Andrew goes and gets his brother, and his brother is Simon. We'll know him as Peter. And, and Simon uh, goes, so Andrew goes and gets Simon and, and brings him to the Messiah, he says. We found the Messiah. Um, and again, if you, if you imagine, um, so this is taking place down in, probably in southern Judea, across the, across the Jordan. They've been following the John the Baptist. They've been a part of some kind of great revival and baptism of repentance and declarations of the prophecies of Moses to be fulfilled, that this great Messiah is going to come. And so he goes and he says, here he is. We found the Messiah. And he brings Simon to, to go and find uh, the Messiah, and, and we're told here, reminded here in this gospel that Messiah is from the Hebrew and Christos is from the uh, Greek. Both of them are referring to the anointed one. To translate both of them uh, would be to translate, this is the anointed one, the one that we were promised, the great king who would be anointed, the great priest who would be anointed. This is the one, is what he, what he calls out to Simon and Andrew brings him. Later then we're introduced to two more, Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus, having been baptized and then tempted in the wilderness, has come back. He's announced, and now he wants to go to Galilee. It says in verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And in fact, in chapter 2, we're going to find him in Galilee where he'll do his first miracle. Um, so notice this. He's ready to return to the region of Gal Galilee where he was from. And Philip is from another city in Galilee, we're told also, Bethsaida, and is the first disciple that Jesus simply commanded, follow me. And then Philip does. Philip goes and tells Nathanael. Nathanael is from Cana. That's also a city in, um, in Galilee. We find that out in chapter 21 of John, if you, if you check that out. So Nathanael is also from Galilee area. He is from Cana which is a rival city with Nazareth, but both cities are in Galilee. He makes this, this statement, a uh, general statement, um, about the city of Nazareth or possibly the region. Look again, this is where Nathaniel says, and I sometimes wonder if he wanted to take his words back. In verse 46, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Jesus walks in. But I'm not sure if he was despising Nazareth or actually if he was, he himself, along with all of his Galilean brothers, was, was talking about the area of Galilee. What, what good can come out of where we come from may have been what he meant. There's a, there's a little known passage in 1 Kings where um, Solomon gives 20 cities from Galilee to Hiram. And when he gives these cities to Hiram as a gift, Hiram goes and looks at the cities and goes, why did you give me these cities? 
It's, they're just a bunch of nothing. And he calls them Kabul, which means next to nothing. And so there's, there's something about these cities in Galilee, at least during the time of Solomon, that made them not much. And there, we, we, we have, what's interesting is we have a verse in the Bible which tells us that, that, in, that the Galilee would be the first place that the, that the Savior would come from. We, we sing about that at Christmas time. But, but, ne, but nevertheless, Galilee was not known as a place where you would expect the Messiah to show up. The Messiah should show up in Jerusalem. The Messiah should show up uh, in, in Judah. The Messiah should show up in, in the area of the, where the king of David was from because it was going to be the son of David who was going to be, what, what do you mean there's this guy coming from Nazareth? Nazareth? And so I, I think that's kind of the mindset that might be going on as, as Nathaniel says, what do you mean? What good could come out of Nazareth? Interesting also is, is who else is, who is Nathaniel? He's He's the only one named here who's not one of the 12 apostles, except maybe he is. Bartholomew is, is listed as one of the 12 disciples, uh, 12 apostles in all of the other gospels. And Bartholomew, while we might be used to that as now a, a first name, it really was a surname. It meant um, the, the son of Tolmai. And so very likely, very, very likely was his last name. And Nathaniel may have been actually his first name, Nathaniel Bartholomew. But we don't know for sure. Nevertheless, we've, we see Nathaniel um, go, uh, ha have a, quite a profound experience with Jesus, and we'll take a look at that in, the, in these next verses, 48 through 51. But let me just, again, walk you through this passage. Here's what happens. John points out the Lamb of God to two of his disciples who turn and follow Jesus. They just, he points them out, and the two begin following Jesus in verses 35 through 37. Jesus asks them, what do you seek? And they end up staying and remaining with him that day, verses 37 through 39. Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, who gazes upon him. Actually, it says, um, it, it, it's translated for us, um, let's see where it is. Um, found his, um, he brought him to Jesus in verse 42, and now when Jesus looked at him, and, and really the word there is this idea of kind of almost stopping the picture, He's, he stopped and gazed upon him gazed upon Simon, the one who probably would become his closest friend, at least one of his closest friends, and renames him. He names him The Rock. Uh, some commentators say that Peter was not a common name at all, wasn't, wasn't really a name. Uh, it, it was Rock. Cephas was the Aramaic. And, and really, it was more like a, well, like we might call The Rock, that Hollywood guy, or Rocky. It was a nickname. It was a nickname that was given to him. And, and as a nickname, though, it was saying, just like when we give a nickname to somebody, oftentimes that nickname is saying something about who he is, what his character is like. He renames him the rock. But that's interesting as we begin to consider and watch Peter's ministry over the years. We'll look at that too. The next day, planning to return to Galilee, Jesus calls Philip, who is from that area, to follow him. In verses 43 and 44, Philip goes and gets Nathanael, exclaiming they have found the one the Old Testament had promised, and that he is from Nazareth. But Jesus finds this one from Galilee, he says, to be a true Israelite, one who is full, or who is full of no deceit. Nathanael questions, how do you know me? And Jesus answers by saying that he saw Nathanael when he was under the fig tree, verse 48. John doesn't tell us how or why. We're not, we're, we would love to know what happens. But he just says, I, I saw you under the fig tree, and convinces Nathaniel that Jesus is the real deal. Verse 49. 
And when he says that, Jesus then refers to another Old Testament story where the heavens were opened as the passage ends here in verses 50 and 51. So let's consider some of these things going on in this intro to his first disciples. And as I mentioned to you before, John is this gospel where there's oftentimes these phrases or answers that Jesus gives and you just stop and scratch your head and you want to know more. Well, there is more to be seen here that can be found, and then there's plenty of us, plenty for us to just still meditate over. These disciples all have names. They all have identities. They all have characters, and they all have destinies, and it's all tied to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what you see in this passage. All of us receive names. How many of you had anything to do with the name that you received? Think about that. It's, it's the name, it's the, it's the words that, it's the sound that comes out of people's mouths that you recognize as identifying you. It's, it's quite a thing. Felix doesn't know his name yet, but he will. And pretty soon, anybody here could say Felix and he'll turn because that name has been given to him. It's very interesting. We are named. And it used to be strange, it used to be strange in our day when someone unilaterally decided to change their name. Maybe you can recall somebody in your past, they all of a sudden decided to change their name. Um, wives will change their last names as they come into and become a part of a new household, and that's considered to be quite an event. But, but, but oddly, maybe you remember somebody in your past who all of a sudden decided they wanted to change their name. It, was, it usually had a story behind it. But now, we live in a day where folks think not only can they change their names, they can change their identity. We've become autonomous in our name giving, autonomous in our identity giving, claiming. But Jesus is Lord of your name, and only he can change your identity. Jesus is the one who gives a name. He does so with Simon in verse 42. Verse 42, um, Jesus says that he shall be called Cephas. Did you see? That's in the, it's in the future. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated um, Petros, Aramaic, both and Greek for the rock. But later, recorded in Matthew 16, Jesus says, you are Peter. In the midst of the ministry, Jesus turns to him and says, you are Peter. This is not only a name change, and Peter is not given a, uh, given a say in the matter at all. How would you like to have your name changed, Jesus does not say. He says, you shall be Cephas. You shall be the rock. So, he's determining Peter's destiny. Because, God, Je because Jesus is Lord of names, he's Lord of identities, he's Lord of destinies. And oftentimes, names are given pointing to destinies, particularly in Old Testament. You see this all the time. Names are given pointing to the destiny of that person. In the Gospels, Peter does not strike us at all as rock-like. But he will be Cephas, Jesus says. He shall be the rock. After the Holy Spirit falls, as you watch Peter in the book of Acts, we see that he becomes what he has been named. And he and the apostles together will be the foundation of the building of the church of Jesus Christ that lasts forever and ever. Amen. Interesting also, Jesus found Philip. And if he found Philip, it implies he was actually looking for Philip. So he's going to go to Galilee and we're told he found Philip. And Philip is identified immediately as a follower of Jesus by declaration of Jesus. Follow me. And Philip does. Jesus chose Philip. Notice that. 
Jesus went looking for Philip, found Philip, called Philip, told him to come and follow. Not that we do not have to choose Jesus. It's not that we do not choose Jesus, but someone else is truly in charge of our destinies. We'll see this over and over throughout the gospel of John. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. In John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, unless I'm looking for him, unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. These are the promises of Jesus. This is the promise of the sovereign one that needs to be spoken of truly into autonomous hearts that think that the destiny is ours, that man has his own destiny to create. He's Lord of our destiny. He's Lord of our identity. He is Lord of our name. In fact, in fact, we are all given a very personal name by Jesus. What you see happen with Peter is going to happen to each and every one of us. In, in Revelation, we are told that we are going to be given in a name that only Jesus and you will know. Kind of, kind of noting an intimate connection by name and character and identity that you personally and Jesus personally knows. This is a Revelation 2.17. To him who overcomes, and remember that power that overcomes is faith. So to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. As we see and follow Jesus, we, become, we begin to become who we are always going to be. So Peter... Peter's given a name, recognizing or identifying a destiny that he is going to become. You have a destiny. Jesus has planned that destiny. He knows where he's taken you. And there will be a day when he will give to you a name on a white stone or something, a symbol of that in some sense. And you will receive a name. And you'll say, yes, that's who I am. That's who he has made me. That's where I was always going. That was always his intention. That's why I went through all that I went through. That's why I made the decisions I did. That's why there was blessing and discipline. That's why all of these things happened because this is who he intended me to be. And you will see on that day, you will see on that day that, the, that there really was a story written about you and that God had really taken you through that story and he had brought it to his glorious end as you then share that glory with him because he has given you that new name and all will be revealed, all will be sure. And in Christ, if you are one of the ones who have overcome, overcome by faith, not your works, thank God, but by your faith, you'll see you'll enter into a reward that is yours, that is a, that is a part of your name, that is a part of your heritage, that always has been your destiny. That's what Jesus is doing as he's choosing these disciples. He's bringing them in to their destinies, their glorious destinies as witnesses to him and followers of him. And this is because to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus. It's not a choice. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus. You either follow him well or you follow him poorly. But if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
There is no Christianity apart from a personal relationship with Jesus in which we become his disciples, his followers. But this is the good work that he begins in you. This is not something that you try to achieve. This is something that he begins in you. And as it says in Philippians 1.6, that he who began that good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He began it in you. And you might be looking at that life. You might be looking at the, the trajectory of that destiny. And you might not be thinking well about where it's going right now. Well, turn to the one who began it because he is not done. He will complete it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it will reveal in that day, if you have overcome by faith, not by works, not by trying harder, by believing in the one who is being proclaimed to you today, by having faith and trusting and remaining in the one who has given himself for you today, you will see on the, in that end exactly where he was leading you, where he was taking you. And I promise it will be good and glorious. It will fulfill every desire. It will grant you pleasures beyond your richest dreams. It will make you the most secure, the most satisfied, the most fulfilled. The mo you've, you've reached it. You will have reached it. And how will you have reached it? By faith that has been granted to you in the Lord Jesus. By faith to hear him say, follow me. You get up and follow him. Wherever he takes you. Wherever that story leads. That are what, that's what we are seeing here in these disciples. That's what's going on. Jesus is calling. And he's calling you as well. Let me jump back to verse 39 also for just a moment. And notice this. In verse 39... It says, Jesus said to them, come and see. Come and see. They were following. They were following him. Jesus saw that they were following him. He says, what do you seek? What do you seek? They turn to him and they say, teacher, which was a, was a title of respect. Teacher, teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him. Remained with him. That word remain is also translated abide. The Greek word is meno. Watch, watch throughout the Gospel of John. This word is going to show up time and time and time again. Not that we just come, but we remain. Not just that we, um, not, not just that we uh, are with Jesus, but that we abide in Jesus. Jesus will say, for instance, Jesus will say in, in, in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. That's the word. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Stay here. Never leave me because I will never leave you. Never leave me, because I will never leave you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Or in 15.9, abide in my love. Abide in my love. That comes on the heels of a, of a commandment for you to love, to, for you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, for you to love one another. And he's going to say, I want you to love one another. Abide in my love. How will you be able to love? How are you going to love that person that just drives you crazy? By abiding in Jesus by Jesus abiding in you. Abide in my love, he will say. Remain. They go to his home and they remain with him that day. We're not told anything more about what went on that day. But they remained with him. To follow Jesus is to abide in him and he in you. And notice throughout this passage also the names and identity of Jesus that are brought forth. He's the Lamb of God. He is Rabbi, Teacher. He is the Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One. He is the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel. All of these titles are given to him. And then Jesus ends the passage by giving himself or declaring himself one other title, the son of man, the son of man. 
We'll consider that in just a moment. Jesus knew Nathanael before Nathanael knew Jesus. Look at verse 47, 48 again. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an ancient, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip came, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And so Jesus declares to Nathanael that he knew him before Nathanael knew Jesus. And Jesus reveals this both inwardly by saying to him with regard to his, with regard to his character, a man of no deceit, and outwardly, I saw you under the fig tree. Both sayings are cryptic and probably mean much more on the face of it. But first of all, just to notice that, Jesus knows you inwardly and outwardly. He knows your heart and your intentions, your desires. He knows your lusts, your temptations. He knows your failings. He knows how much you seek after him. And Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He sees you. He sees you wherever you are. You can't escape him. You can't escape the omniscient eye of God. And that's either wonderful or horrifying. It's either wonderful or horrifying, but please don't make it just bland to you. The Lord Jesus Christ sees you and knows you everywhere. That's a great comfort or a horrifying truth, depending upon what he sees. Nevertheless, he sees you. What did he see in Nathaniel? What does he mean, I saw you under the fig tree? Is there any, any importance in that? Well, fig trees represent Israel throughout the Psalms regularly. And so Nathaniel, in essence, is a picture, a symbol of Israel itself. And fig trees had become a place of prayer and meditation, according to extra-biblical teachings. The Pharisees and, um, and some of the other writers would write about uh, fig trees as being places that you would sit, meditate, and pray. Nathaniel, we're told, is a man in whom there is no deceit. The word there is dalos. There's no deceit. I believe one of the things he's pointing to, and we see this because we come to it at the end of this passage, is that, G, is, is that Nathaniel is a new Jacob, a new Jacob who um, now is a man of no deceit. Jacob was known as a man with deceit. And in Genesis 27, 35, Isaac, when Esau's going, Ack! He took my blessing. Father, what happened? And, and Isaac says, your brother came with deceit. In the, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, that's the same word. Your, your brother came to me with deceit and has taken away your blessing. But as we've seen before, Jacob, in one sense, didn't, have, didn't act deceitfully. He was honor, honor, acted honorably before the Lord. And, and Nathaniel is a man who, and in whom is no deceit. But then, um, so then later, Jacob has a dream. He has a dream where he saws, sees the heavens opened and a stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. That's in Genesis 28, just the next chapter. He's all by himself. He's, uh, he, he's, out in, uh, he's out fleeing from his brother, Esau, and he comes to a place where there's, there's no place to lay his head, and he takes a stone, and he lays his head down on the stone and goes to sleep, and while he sleeps, he has a vision where the heavens are opened. When the heavens are opened, he sees angels ascending and descending. In that dream, the Lord gives Jacob great promises, and Jacob names the place Bethel, God's house, because the Lord was in that place. What are we to see here? Well, Jesus instructs Nathanael, um, and if you, if you, again, if you'd look with, at me carefully here at verses 50 and 51, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe this? You will see greater things than these. 
And then listen to me carefully as I read this next verse. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you all, hereafter you all shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so this promise is not just to Nathaniel, but to the new Jacob, the new Israel, the people of God. I say to you all, the heavens will be open and you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You will see the glory of the Son of Man. Jesus is that stairway, that ladder, that way to heaven. He is God's house. He is Bethel. He is the house of God, the place where God dwells, God in the flesh. He is the new Israel. Jacob, you recall, was renamed. He was given a new name, Israel. Nathaniel and all disciples see that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the ladder, the stairway to heaven. But Jesus, after all of these other names have been declared about him, in this passage, Jesus declares to Nathaniel that he was um, the son of man. Not, he doesn't mention being the son of God, of king of Israel. No, angels, and, angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. This is not a downgrade. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to be called the king of Israel. I'll just be the son of man. That's not what's going on at all here. This, this, this is um, the son of man tells us that Jesus came to take the office of the son of man that Daniel prophesied. The son of God came to take the office of the son of man that Daniel had prophesied. And so all the promises given to Jacob are the new Jacobs. And the son of man now rules over all the world. The promises of Jacob are the new Jacobs and all who are in Jacob. Listen to the promises of, given to Jacob in Genesis 28. Behold, the Lord stood above it. This is after, the, uh, after he sees this, this vision of the heavens opened. The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Do you hear that? The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and you will and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. That was given, that promise is given to Jacob and is given through the Lord Jesus Christ, the new Bethel, to the new Israel, to you, to us, to the church. Angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Where? What does Daniel tell us in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14? I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. We oftentimes think coming with the clouds of heaven is referring to Jesus coming to the earth. Jesus will come to the earth, but that's not what Daniel's talking about. He's coming with the clouds of heaven and he comes to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And then being seated there before, before the Lord God Almighty, the Son of Man is seated before him, and it says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. John is pointing to all of this in the story of Nathanael being brought to the Messiah. That Jesus is the house of God. 
He is the new temple. And we are that temple in him, his body, filled by the Holy Spirit. And that temple is going to dwell, this temple dwells upon this earth while our descendants become as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. While we take the land from the north and the south and the east and the west and we bring all the kings, all dominions, all authorities to come and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in humble submission, receiving forgiveness for their sins and a redemption that spreads over this world in the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what John is pointing to. Confidence. Confidence in the one who has come. Confidence in the one who accomplished what he came to accomplish. Jesus is on the throne now. He is subduing the nations now. He is the savior of the world now. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now. This world is becoming everything the Lord of this world intends for it to become. Just as Peter became all that Jesus declared that Peter would become. So the church is becoming everything that God has promised that Jesus has empowered by his spirit for it to become. And in these chaotic times, this must be preached. This must be remembered. We must abide in it. We must abide in him. And Jesus, that Jesus, that son of man, knows you by name. He has given you a new identity. He knows you, and if you abide in him by faith, he will give you a new name, finishing the work of the new identity and destiny that he always has intended for you and that everything he is doing in your life is working towards. It's never, ever too late. He always meets us where we are and not where we should have been. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for your loved one. It's not too late for your neighbor. It's not too late for this city. It is not too late. Jesus is Lord now. He is the Savior now. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world now. He is, he is in Christ, we are becoming who we are destined to be. And his destiny is more glorious than anything we could ever ask or imagine. In, G, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes these words, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus would ask you, what do you seek? What is your heart's desire? What do you want more than anything else? Jesus would ask you, what do you seek? Do you want to just dabble in religion? Just a little bit of over here, a little bit over there. Or do you want to follow him? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for all you have promised us in Jesus Christ. We are a new people because of what you have done. Jesus' work on the cross has cleansed us. His resurrection leads to our resurrection life, new life. And the Holy Spirit abiding in us, remaining in us, means we have constant fellowship with you. Make us more and more aware of all you have done for us. 
give us greater hints of all that you have planned for us for eternity, that we might walk faithfully, joyfully, and expectantly for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.